This is episode 46 of the Landscape Photography Show, and every so often I like to reach out to somebody who isn't in the circle of landscape photographers. I know you know what I'm talking about. Those people who you've heard on several podcasts, time in and time out, you know them to be a very solid member of the landscape photography community for the most part. I like to reach out to not only other genres, but kind of other industries, other job descriptions to give us as landscape photographers better ideas of how we can diversify ourselves. And I think you'll find that word becoming a main theme of this discussion because we have Chris Jays coming on who works with Land Rover and Jaguar in their media relations department. And I, I was originally introduced to Chris through a course that I took off of Wildest, which is Alex Stroll's workshop-based platform of learning photography and learning about other genres of photography, I think. And Chris's discussion with Alex blew me away. I wanted to have him on because I think landscape photographers, for the most part, need a lot of help in media relations. They need a lot of help in thinking differently about commercial photography and working with brands. It's something that I've been working towards a lot and getting a lot of ideas from other photographers in their respected genres that they work with and you know i've had chris burkard on the podcast before being able to pick his brain about some things in photography and how he works and how his business operates was a huge help to me so without further ado let's go ahead and roll the intro and hear what chris has to say about this lost income stream that landscape photographers could be poised to pounce on The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Chris Jays, and I wanted to bring Chris on just because I feel like he and his perspective and how he deals with the photography community would be very beneficial for landscape photographers in particular, just because of what we view as ways of making money and income streams. But I also want to start, Chris, with how you actually picked up the camera for the first time, because I know you take photos yourself and have a lot of fun doing that too. So why don't you dive into how you got started? Yeah. And, um, well, thank you for, for, for having me on. Um, I actually, um, I decided to pick up a camera, um, a little bit before I went to work at, at Land Rover. Um, I was traveling quite a lot with my now wife and, um, you know, taking some pictures on our, uh, trips. I, I wouldn't say that I ever really dedicated real effort to it until I started at Land Rover. Um, I just found myself in some really amazing places with some incredible vehicles, incredible people, um, and just enjoyed seeing some of that unfold through, through the lens. Um, and then as some of the work that I was doing, um, got a little bit better, I started investing more time in it. You know, photography is really one of those fun journeys where 
you're never really actually done learning or growing. You might move from one subject to another um, or be more focused on it um, at certain times rather than, than others. But um, it's a really fun and interesting journey because there's always something new to experiment with, always something new to see. Um, and I'm, I'm really thankful to have, have done it, mostly because I think, and I say this to my wife jokingly all the time, you know, photography taught me how to really look and, and see things in a different way. And so it just, it makes everything that much more interesting. You go for a walk in uh, Riverside Park in New York, for example, and all of a sudden you start seeing things that, you know, if you weren't, um, if you weren't into photography, you might not otherwise see. So um, it's been, it's been really fun and an enjoyable journey in that sense. How did you see the world before you started taking photos? I think in a lot less romanticized of a way. <laughs> I think, um, you know, you tend to notice something is beautiful, but I think when you start taking pictures, you try to dissect why it's beautiful and you try to figure out what it is that is in that moment that you find really amazing. And I think that's, that's sort of how I see it now is you look at something and then you try to go, well, what, what is it about? Is it the colors, the light, is it the, you know, the people or the subject that's there? And, um, you know, really, it really makes just, again, going for a simple walk uh, that much more enjoyable. Do photographers over romanticize moments, though? Yeah, I mean, to a degree, I don't know, there, there's something inherently special about that, the conditions and where you are at any one given point in time, the people and, and subjects that are there, you know, they never perfectly align and are exactly the way that they are in that moment ever again. Mm -hmm. regardless of whether somebody else captures it from five feet away. It's still a different picture, a different moment. So yeah, maybe they do overly romanticize the, the sort of mundane and boring, but I guess that's sort of what makes photography special is the ability to make something more mundane and boring that much more interesting. Were you ever interested in any other artistic platform? I don't... I wouldn't say I was. Um, I'm, so I started out working in the advertising industry. So I was around a lot of incredibly talented and, and creative individuals. And, um, and I think that gave me lots of exposure to various different um, skill sets in graphic design, in coding, um, in, in other sort of mediums of, of art. And nothing really appealed to me. I think it's because I'm not I'm not one of those people that can sort of pick up a pencil and draw something. Um, you know, there are certain artists that manage to be good at art across various different mediums. I think having spent so much time producing TV commercials or social content or those types of things, I had a, a way of um, understanding how cameras worked and the framing and, and the storytelling elements of it. And so it was sort of a natural way to transition into that. Um, but I, I certainly don't have any other artistic skill sets or tendencies. I can't, I can't sing. I can't uh, draw, paint, nothing else. Why cars? Why do you gravitate towards that? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I think it just, <laughs> it really was my sort of original um, subject, I guess, through, through Jaguar and Land Rover. And I think, um, you know, they are interesting because in their own right, cars have um, attributes, whether that's sort of a very masculine stance, that's very elegant proportions. Um, and if you if you talk to or read anything about Ralph Lauren and his engagement with cars and how cars actually helped inspire his um, designs, you know, he talks a lot about the character and the personality of, of the design and of these small elements that exist on cars and, and how they are you know, moments frozen in time, right? You know, cars in many ways represent this, um, this moment frozen in time relative to, uh, relative to history, you know, and all of the, 
industrial and engineering strengths at one point in time, all of the styling values at one point in time, the choice of materials, they all they all are frozen in time. So when you look at a 1959 Mercedes 190 SL, you know, that car is a, a frozen moment in time of the values of society from then. And and I sort of love that about cars in that there's nothing else that really exists and, and we use in an everyday capacity that sort of harkens back to another point in time if you're driving a classic car. So I think it's my love for classic cars that really helped me um, you know, get interested in that as a subject. Um, and, uh, and then the sort of fun of being able to explore cars in different locations. Plus when you're starting out shooting, you know, you tend to um, doubt your own abilities quite a lot. Um, and you tend to be very nervous and not take the risks and examples, or at least when you're not formally trained um, in photography, that's, that's at least how I felt. So shooting people has always been something that's made me a little bit more uncomfortable because, you know, there's a, there's a reaction there. Whereas I can place a car and I can work on it for, you know, two and a half hours and it doesn't get bashful over the fact that I don't know what I'm doing all the time. So it's a great subject to practice on in, in, in that sense, but I'm, I've been trying to push myself artistically to focus a little bit more on people and try and put myself out of my comfort zone and see what works and doesn't work. And again, that's, you know, what I say about photography is that you're just never really done learning. You just move on to something else that makes you slightly uncomfortable. It sounds like you romanticize about cars a lot more than you do about photography. Yeah, I think um, I think I've always been captivated by them for a multitude of, of reasons, but mostly it's that it's that historical sort of moment in time. I think that's it's such an interesting way to be able to connect with the values of the time period that you didn't exist in or you didn't have a real tangible way of engaging with. Um, and so when you do get behind the wheel of some of those cars, you know, to say it again, that that sort of collective. Um, element of it that represents that the values of that time period to me they're just um, they're kind of perfect in that way you're literally like you define cars the same as my dad does he is very romanticized about older and classic cars in his garage he has a 1956 black corvette um, and his daily driver of course is a uh, bmw convertible well that's awesome yeah, I, I think a lot of car guys will connect over it for that sort of in, intangible reason. Um, they 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 sort of you know turn us back into children in in some ways because of the fascination with this you know real machine. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I really I love shooting cars. How has the pandemic and this quarantine era that seems to last an entire year? It seems like it may. How has it changed your viewpoint on your personal photography? Actually, it's been really good for me, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, I, I, I think through the things that I've been able to do, I've almost missed a step in, in learning how to be a photographer um, in that I, I wind up in very, very epic locations with very epic new vehicles and usually some of the most interesting people out there. Um, and again, I, I'm, I'm hyper cognizant of how fortunate I am with my job that it enables me to do that. But I think in some ways I then um, almost lost a little bit of that, go out and find something, you know, mundane to shoot and find something there. Um, and to an extent, the pandemic has forced me to um, not be able to travel to some of those epic locations. But I'm still, I still have that itch to get out and shoot something. And so I've been going on walks with um, 
my new puppy, um, who's about 10 months old, Penny. And um, it's been great for both of us because she loves the long walks. And, you know, I just bring my camera with me. And when I find something that, that gives me a little bit of inspiration, I, I try to figure out what it is that I'm inspired by and, you know, go about shooting it. And, and I think it's forced me to shoot things that I wouldn't otherwise normally shoot. And I think it's forced me to try and work a little bit harder to figure out what makes something uh, interesting. So I think it's been a good challenge for me, but I don't earn my primary income off of photography. So that's a very romanticized and very easy thing for me to be able to say, because I don't necessarily have to sell any of those photos, nor are they for any clients. So I guess maybe that's a little bit of the the rose-colored glasses that I'm able to wear because, uh, again, I don't earn my income from it. Uh, I, I do very much um, empathize with the, the larger photographic community because, um, you know, we are programmed to some degree to, to love that travel, to love that exploration and the adventure, um, in addition to the fact that for, for a lot of people, it's how they earn their income. Um, and so to be locked down at this point in time, not be able to travel, not be able to create work, um, it's it's definitely very difficult, and and as I said, I do really empathize with with those who have have been in that position. Would you ever try to earn an income with photography? I, I you know it's funny. I've wrestled with this topic a lot. I, I think um, you know one. I will always be self conscious and and the most critical of my own work. Um, I think if I ever get it to a point where I feel like it is justified in selling, then I think I will start to um, consider it. But, but I was having the conversation with my wife the other week, and we were talking about how part of what I get to enjoy most about it is that I don't have to, I don't have to do it. And, and I think that's what makes it so enjoyable for me is that when I am doing it, it's because I really, I'm either very much inspired by something that I've done, or I very much am just, I sort of have that itch to get out and shoot. Um, and I think that's part of what makes it so enjoyable and so meditative for me. I think if I were to be earning my income off of it, it would introduce a whole host of other things that might not necessarily, um, that I might not enjoy as much. And frankly, I worry that it might sour me on, on photography as a, as a whole, but, um, I do wrestle with that, with that a lot. Where do you see your personal journey with your camera, with images gravitating to? I think, um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of, uh, there's always these verticals in photography, um, right? And we're obviously talking and, and you're a very accomplished landscape photographer. Um, but, but there are all of these verticals in which we try to place ourselves into. Um, and, and as photographers, really, we have a set of um, photography-based skill sets and a, a set of sort of personal skill sets. And it's usually the confluence of those two that dictate, you know, where do you wind up? why a lot of people who are very skilled climbers wind up picking up a camera, learning how to shoot, and then they're sort of adventure outdoor photographers. And likewise, with people who are very personable, becoming portrait and or fashion photographers, you sort of need those additional personal skills in order to exist in that in that vertical. And, um, and I always find it interesting when you start to take somebody outside of their own vertical and, and put them into another one, because inevitably, um, you know, they see things in a completely different way. Um, so I'm, I'm just trying to experiment with as many different um, types of photography as possible. I obviously love um, shooting cars, specifically Land Rovers, out in beautiful and epic locations because I think it, it, it does kind of check the box of hopefully inspiring somebody else to see how much beauty that, that exists out on their doorstop and that we don't always have to travel to far-flung places to find 
you know, incredibly gorgeous locations. I was thinking, you know, people travel to Europe so often for summer vacations, and yet we have some of the most beautiful natural spaces out there. Um, and so it's always a bit, bit confusing. But yeah, I, I definitely want to continue to try and branch out, um, do a bit more in that sort of landscape and, and adventure photography sort of space because I love being outside. Um, and I have a project that's going to uh, release next month um, with the new Land Rover Defender um, that is shooting a person um, or shooting more of a person than I typically do. Um, so more portrait style photography. Um, and, and that was a really enjoyable process. So it'll be interesting to see how people react to that work. And um, that might dictate whether I do a little bit more there or a little bit less there. But it's really just about continuing to, to branch out and, and try different things, experiment, find what you know, makes me, makes me smile when I take a picture, do a bit more of that, and then, you know, see how I can apply that to other areas of, of photography. Um, because as I said, for right, right now, for me, it's really just a way to, to kind of relax and, you know, see some really beautiful and incredible things in new ways. When you're on those projects and you're out in these locations, what do you learn about yourself as a photographer through those experiences? Oh God, that's a really, that's a really challenging one. I think when I'm, when I'm out and shooting some of these personal projects, um, one of the things that, that is usually most in the forefront of my mind is um, trying to make sure that whatever I'm shooting is, is doing something differently. Right. I, I think I'm always cognizant of the fact that, um, you know, it's so easy to log on to Instagram and to see, a specific place that you're going to or, or whatever done in the same sorts of ways. Um, so I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm always a bit focused on that. And, and I think in terms of what I learn about myself, I think it's that, um, you know, I, it's about really trying to reinforce that maybe I have a bit more, um, a bit more to offer than I, I come off as. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to, to sort of, come up in a world, and, and frankly, I was having this conversation with a, a gentleman in the UK the other day, it's really easy to be a not formally trained photographer and um, have a supreme lack of confidence in your skill set and your byproduct and to see other people's work and constantly compare it to that. You know, I think when I'm out there and I'm shooting and I, I get, you know, another image that I say, God, that's going to be one of my, you know, all-time greats. Um, it's really about trying to, to continue to build up that confidence in, in what I work on and recognize that, you know, people come into things in all different ways. And just because you don't necessarily have the formal training doesn't make you less worthy of, um, of receiving praise for doing something well. Um, so I, I think, I think that's the one thing that I keep trying to reinforce, um, because as I said, that's, that's, I think one of my biggest shortcomings in it. What's your official title at Land Rover Jaguar? So I am uh, the senior media specialist. Uh, and effectively what that means is I'm in charge of um, Jaguar and Land Rover's media buying uh, and strategy. Uh, so when we're trying to figure out who do we market specific cars to um, and, and how do we get that message out there? And, and then in what space does that message appear, whether that's TV or print or social? Um, so those are the things that, that I'm sort of uh, focused on. Um, there. What did your education and, and even now your experience and the position that you're in dealing with creatives, what did it teach you about the value of not the photography, but the photographer that you're working with? 
Well, I mean, it, there's there's no question that um, you know some of the people that I've had the the fortune of working with have made the biggest impact on um, both my career internally at JLR and as um, some of my work as a photographer. You know, everybody's got a completely different perspective, um, and seeing how some of these guys approach um, a specific project or a specific task is is the most interesting piece of it. You know, the way that they sort of dissect how they're going to tell a story and some are, you know, highly technical and highly logistical and others are, you know, over the top sort of art directors in the sense that they, they see the visual um, better than they see how they're going to execute the visual. And so it's been really interesting to work with with different people and, and see how they approach a specific creative task. I think that's definitely one of the big takeaways that I get um, from, um, from engaging with the photography community. And it's really where you see the difference to a degree between a really strong photographer and, you know, some people who maybe have a little bit less experiences, uh, again, the way that they approach um, getting a specific project or task done. The reason I ask that is because there seems to be, especially in my experience and other photographers' experience that I know and interact with, a diminishing value in photography right now, especially how easy it can be to, number one, exchange images for exposure or just reposting images and basically taking them. Yeah, I, I think it's a really tough time. I think content as a whole is going to need to go through a bit of a renaissance. Um, because if you look at both in video and photo, one, the proliferation of incredibly talented um, photographers, because there is an extremely low barrier to entry. You know, you can take amazing photographs on cheap used 10 year old cameras. Um, if you really, really have the right eye for it. And, and so, as I say, you know, the barrier is incredibly low. And it's the same thing in video. It's never been easier to learn how to pick up a camera, shoot video, learn how to edit. And, and people who have the time and the hunger are certainly um, doing incredible, incredible things. So um, I, think that that, um, I think that that's one, one major element that's contributing towards this. Um, and then the other, when you look at the rise of Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and all of these other streaming services that are, you know, constantly investing in getting new content, I think I think it just stands to say that we are we are binging on it as a whole as a society in a both literal and figurative way, and I think that eventually um, we're going to go too far. The quality is going to slide and slide and slide, and the quality of storytelling is going to slide. And, and I think eventually it's going to come back in the other direction, whereby, um, you know, people will start to place greater value on the quality uh, and doing a little bit less. Um, and, and I do think it's an incredibly tough time for what I call like the mid-tier, right? You know, you guys who are properly um, skilled, they have uh, a decent bit of experience, they've invested in all of their equipment, and they are genuinely um, small business owners, photography um, business owners, because you know, they're the ones that are getting squeezed, I think, the hardest, right? Your big, um, your big names are always going to continue to be in demand and continue to earn. And then you've got this up and coming group of young, potentially still in school, potentially, you know, able to live at home um, with parents, etc., that are able to do what you're saying, you know, go out there and uh, share images for exposure or be completely comfortable with their stuff being reshared um, without being compensated for it. Um, and and it is it is tough. But I think that's where 
you know, those mid-level photographers really just have to buckle down on, on their experience. And if you want to get something done right, you know, if it's not just, hey, we'd like to take a pretty picture you've already captured, but hey, we have a big value project that we need to actually accomplish. You know, that's where those guys really need to double down and, and say, um, you know, I may cost a bit more, but, but you're ultimately getting that assurance of knowing that I've been out and I've shot these types of projects before. Um, so I think experience is going to come back into play. And I think the quality of storytelling is going to come back into play in a big way. And I think that's going to try and help balance out some of the scales here, because I agree it's, it's, it's tough out there for, for a lot of people who are in that, in that mid range. Does exposure hold any weight at all though? I, I think significantly less than it used to, in all honesty. I think it's great in some ways when somebody wants to put a brand on their portfolio to be able to say, I've worked with these brands. Um, you know, that in some way is more valuable than the exposure because ultimately with the volume of repost accounts that exist on Instagram right now, you know, people aren't actually even looking at who's taking these photos. I, I think that, you know, that was one of the biggest mistakes that Instagram made is in some ways, all of these accounts that repost everybody's images. And, and there are plenty of them in automotive. In fact, I think automotive probably has uh, amongst the highest of them because cars is such a huge interest topic. And people pinch your photos and, and they put them up on theirs. And even the ones who ask for permission, then they bury them behind 15 other posts that went out there. So, you know, now they're just out in the universe. They didn't get the appropriate attention when they were posted on that larger account. Um, and, and yours isn't the only one out there. So I've actually um, had that happen to me a couple of times where then I reach out and I say, I'd prefer if you don't post this, or if you do, you need to give it a couple of days to breathe, to let people see it. Because I think that, um, you know, again, people aren't reading captions anymore. People aren't clicking through on profiles anymore. Um, you either have a really unique approach or you're not necessarily getting, um, getting the follows. I think it's, it's really tough to build up a following now. Is there an enabling culture centered around that uh, of people who do allow accounts to jack their images and post them up on their own site? Yeah, there certainly is. And I think it's a, a byproduct of the fact that it's become so hard to develop your own audience. Now there is, you know, Instagram's incredibly saturated. So mm -hmm. is YouTube. So are all of these other platforms. They're, they're so heavily saturated. And, and I think that because of that, you then almost have to find growth any way you can. Um, and, and so one of the ways to do that is, is through that, although I don't think it's very fruitful, I think the photography community would be a lot better off to all band together and you know, eliminate that, that element of reposting. Um, because then the real photographers who put in the real work to create that image would get the credit for it. It would be able to live on its own for a period of time and not just be drowned out by so much of the other quote unquote garbage that is out there. Um, I think it's it's tough in some ways because if you romanticize the photo and what you've done to take it as well, um, then it's just really such a shame. You know, all of this effort in planning, the time to get to a specific location, you know, the amount of, uh, of work you've had to put in to know and have the skill set to be able to take advantage of that location at that point in time, and then to go back and edit and labor over simple changes to color or small changes to contrast just to make it that 1% better. And then you put it out there and at most you get maybe, you know, a day and a half worth of engagement. Um, and in some ways for, for having put in the amount of labor to that, it's just, uh, it's sad. Um, and, and as I say, I think all of those repost accounts just totally cheapen all of the value of what somebody's worked hard to create. 
I hope you guys are getting tons of value from this interview with Chris Jays. I wanted to take a quick break to talk about a unique opportunity you have right now on my website at davidjohnsonart.com. You can go there and get any course that I have listed for 33% off for a limited time if you use the code David33 during checkout. That's any course on my website outsourced to visualwilderness.com where you're going to learn how you can shoot and take better photos in the field and also create and curate better images through post-processing. Again, that's davidjohnstonart.com, 33% off for a limited time if you use the code david33 during checkout. Right now, let's get back to the episode. You know, when I was forming some topics to discuss, Chris, with you before we jumped on, um, I really gravitated towards the idea of what we're going through right now with the pandemic and job loss and projects not being available. I feel like, you know, I've seen it firsthand in personal experiences of businesses going bankrupt and not having the funds to pay out either for like insurance or long-term care insurance, health insurance, all those things. And it got me thinking, we can't, as photographers, rely on big corporations, businesses to supply our income. We have to diversify that and have several legs of income and, and streams of income coming in. But, but I feel like landscape photographers and the audience that primarily listens to shows like this or follows photographers similar to myself don't have that income stream coming in from working with brands, from commercial photography. Why do you think that could be a possibility? Why you guys don't have that income currently? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think it's tough to fund some of these projects when, you know, the, the travel restrictions really are um, very real. I think the one thing we're, we're, we're very fearful of as a brand is when we do reenter the world of production and we do start um, going out into the field and shooting things, you know, will we do it too early or will we get picked up by somebody um, who, who effectively thinks we're not um, being cautious enough or conscious enough of the, the pandemic. And so I think that that's driving a lot of companies to pull all of their um, funding out of um, some of the production work that they have or have had in the hopper currently. Um, but I, I agree completely with your point. I think um, photographers would do, do well to diversify their, um, their skill sets a little bit in order to um, ensure that they can weather different types of um, downturns within uh, the industry. And I think a lot of people who I've seen spending time focusing on how do they develop their skill set for shooting things in the studio? Um, how do they develop their 3D and, and CGI rendering skill sets? How do they work on bettering themselves as a retoucher or picking up some video related skill sets? You know, I think smart people have really used this time to, to learn um, where possible. And, and pick up some of those additional skill sets they can start putting to use. And I think studio is a, a great um, area of that because studio is such a technical, a technical exercise. And I think um, sometimes, you know, people are very skilled when it comes to uh, retouching, but maybe not necessarily as good with their camera. And some are really great with their camera and they shoot everything, you know, pretty much straight out of camera. 
and don't really do much retouching. So I think it's it's good opportunities to balance out those skill sets and, and hopefully provide um, some form of alternative income for the future. Well, I think not only now, even before this even happened, commercial photography and working with brands just wasn't on the landscape photography community's radar at all. It was primarily income streams of workshops being the biggest one, um, eBooks, you know, online learning resources, maybe some image licensing here and there, stock photography. And that was about it. Oh, well, I, I mean, I think, sorry, then I, I had misinterpreted your question, but, but to respond to why, why it is that landscape photographers specifically maybe are, are not doing as much work with, with brands even prior to COVID. I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, um, you know, you see your subject completely as, as that, that beautiful, color-filled, epic landscape. And, and the reality is that that is an incredible subject in its own right, but it's also an incredible setting for so many, so many different brands that are um, heavily rooted in, in that sort of outdoor lifestyle. Um, and, and Alex is a guy who I respect tremendously as a, a photographer because he rides that really nice balance between um, doing a lot of lifestyle portraiture you know, fashion related work as it relates to outdoor and technical clothing. Um, and, and then also does a huge amount of, of business via um, just some of his beautiful prints of landscape photography. So I think that, um, you know, some of the really smart landscape photographers recognize that, that their, their studio, so to speak, is one of the best studios out there in the sense that it offers great backdrop for, you know, that, that apparel, um, the apparel industry for, uh, the gear industry as it relates to outdoor gear. Um, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity there for sure. Can you tell when somebody is trying to get into this source of income stream and they are not comfortable selling themselves? Yeah. Interestingly enough, I get a lot of solicitations for work. Um, mostly because I'm, I'm sort of very, I try to be very connected with the photography community because it's something that I'm passionate about. Um, but but I'm also very outspoken about working for Land Rover and and shooting some of that work and so yeah I, I do get a lot of um, I do get a lot of people who reach out to me. You can instantly tell who uh, is very confident and who is not. Typically, the people who are the most confident um, they have something that they want to execute. They understand how Land Rover fits into it. Um, they put together a very tight proposal um, that that gets to the core of what it is they're going to create. I find that people who are less comfortable or confident will put themselves out there in a much more general way. Um, and, and while it's, I believe it to be rooted more in the insecurity over their work, you know, it, it tends to, um, it tends to come across more as I haven't necessarily put any time customizing or, or thought into how I would use your brands. Um, and, and so I always encourage people to really put in the work when it comes to the proposal, be more selective about who you want to work with and then put in the work on the proposal and start with the brands that you're using on your everyday sort of routine, because those are typically the brands that, that you understand their core proposition the best. And you can really get to something that would be very relevant for, for a marketer. So um, that would be one thing that I would say. And then the other is, I think as um, photographers, we're obsessed with our own idea of the project. So I get a lot of pitches that are for somebody to execute an idea that they have. and 
while that's always the best case scenario, because I always look for Land Rover to fit organically into something rather than for something to be created inorganically for Land Rover. Um, it sometimes comes at the expense of the fact that you haven't properly conveyed why I would be um, or Land Rover would be a good candidate for, for the project overall. Um, and, and I think it's the balance of those two, right? Having a really clear vision and an idea of what you would like to accomplish, but also a keen understanding of how the marketing happens, um, how the brand that you're trying to go after talks about itself, how it behaves in social, and, and then rolling that all up into a very thoughtful and, and customized proposal. Um, those are the ones that I will always read. I will always respond to. I mean, I respond to everything that I get within within reason because I think it's just rude to not respond. But um, those are the ones that I always spend the most time on because um, they obviously have the most potential for the for the brand. Can you go a little bit more into detail about how to create a proposal? Because I feel like a lot of people listening, because I've been in their shoes in the past, they hear you talking or they see a photographer who like Alex Stroll, who has worked with several brands, or they see someone who has worked for Land Rover. And their initial thought is, oh, Land Rover approached them about a project. Yeah. And in some cases that is true. So, I mean, we mm -hmm. obviously have certain things that we have to accomplish and we go out to a group of people who we've worked with before, or we know via others. Um, and, and we brief them on something very, very specific. But no, most times um, we tend to get proposals in from people and when the economy is in the right place for it and when the, the sort of travel climate is in the right place for it and when all the things align, then, then we take advantage of that. I would say for anybody who's looking to create a proposal, um, I would encourage them to, to sort of first take a look at the person that you're going to be speaking to and then take a look at the brand that you're going to be pitching. And, and I say to do those two things because ultimately it helps you tailor to meet that individual's needs as well as that brand's needs. Because um, ultimately nobody in a company is going to do anything unless it is got some really tangible benefit to them. So um, and, and then really focus the effort on putting together a, a custom proposal that um, really thinks about how and what the brand might need for their channels. So I have a lot of people that come in and they say, I've got this great. 10 minute feature documentary that Land Rover would be great for. I said, well, that's awesome. So what would Land Rover get out of it? I said, well, we have this feature documentary. And I said, okay, you've got this great narrative and, and it's at 10 minutes and it's perfect for your channels. It's 99% story, 1%, maybe some product placement or product featurey type shots. But as a brand, I'm more interested in something that's maybe 75% story driven and 25% more about the product um, for that sort of awareness level of creative. Um, and that's that sort of creative for people who don't necessarily know the brand or don't know the product as well. Um, it, it sort of shows them a lifestyle or a story and integrates the brand into that organically. But as you move down the purchase funnel um, as an automotive marketer, you start to shift from story focus to product focus in order to help convert people who are now aware of your product, interested in your product, considering your product, to help convert them to a buyer of your product. You then start to hit them with the more rational um, elements. So it's always interesting to me when we get proposals and it's just for a 10 minute film. And, and I actually had a conversation with somebody who put that forward maybe three days ago now. And I said, the 10 minute film is great and that'll be awesome for your channels. But, but think about how and what we would want. If you're going on a journey from A to B, do you need to cross a river at any point in time? That's a great opportunity for a product cutaway where you can talk about the waiting depth of the vehicle. 
that specific clip might not make it into your long form documentary element, but that specific clip is very useful for us to be able to use alongside your long form documentary to retarget consumers that have seen it and show them a specific feature. And, and, and that can go further and further down the sort of funnel. Um, and, and so this person was sort of, I'm not going to say flabbergasted, but they said, wow, that really changes things because now I can put together a package that's really, really, really relevant for the brand. I can put together a package that accomplishes what I want to have as a creative. And by unifying the two of those, I can fund this project overall. And I think that's where the real sweet spot is. And I think that's what a lot of photographers who are just starting out tend to miss is really thinking about the person on the other end of the phone to a degree has no real interest in my creativity, has no real interest in my career or my progression as an artist. They have no real interest in even helping me succeed. They don't even know me. Um, so, so what they really wind up being focused on is what is the value you're delivering to me as a brand in return for me helping you accomplish this creative project? Um, and I think um, more younger creatives would would succeed in getting some things accomplished if they spend a little bit more time thinking about what am I delivering for the brand and how will they get value out of this project. Um, so yeah, that's how I would in, encourage people to start thinking about their proposals um, and, and making it a bit more custom. Yeah, it's so funny. We've talked about romanticism and photography and even your personal experience in that sense of the creative journey that you're on but in a complete 180 i think like diversification has become a great theme of our discussion here because not only diversifying your income streams but you also diversify your understanding of uh, reaching out to people you diversify your skills as photographer even incorporating video like you were talking about a little bit into your skill set um, and then also diversifying your understanding of the industry and not just looking at your own journey, but also the journey of possible brands that you're reaching out to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think incredibly important topics as, as you know, people learn to make a real a real healthy income off of photography. Cause that's the other thing that I also really um, empathize with is, is, you know, people having to take less than they should take in order to make it in this area. And so I think really putting out there that, that message of diversifying skill sets is a, is a very healthy one for people to um, hopefully be able to make a really good income off of this. Because, you know, when you look back at some of the photography that, that came out of the fifties and the sixties, and you go and look at some of these great names out there, you know, the fact that their work exists is such a special thing to be able to view. And it's such a special way to transport to that time that when you think about certain people maybe putting down a camera because they can't afford to keep it up, you know, what talent, what voices are we losing because of this? Because they don't have the diversified skill sets to be able to weather these types of storms. Um, you know, there, there's sort of a great sadness in, in that because we may be missing the next great because um, you know, we're all trying to work to undercut one another rather than work to lift each other up and, um, and, and do better as a community. What are the best ways to network? Well, uh, I think, um, to me, the best way to network is to get out to the events where brands you want to work with are potentially going to be, um, by not being, afraid to take on any kind of meeting by not being afraid to reach out to any kind of person 
um, that, that you might see, whether that's at an actual event like that or um, on social. I think you just have to be really unafraid. Um, and, and I think you really have to be cognizant of what other people do for you. I think that um, I always try to say to, to younger guys, you know, when somebody gives you an opening, you take full advantage of the opening and you make it so well known how grateful you are for that, that opening. I mean, ultimately, if I, if I can just digress for a second, that's how I got my job at, at Jaguar Land Rover is um, I knew I wanted to go and, and work for Land Rover. I used to restore classic Land Rovers um, while I was working in advertising. That's how much I, I just genuinely loved the brand. Um, and uh, I just, I kept networking and networking and networking to find people who knew people who knew people that could eventually introduce me to somebody who maybe worked at, at Land Rover. And I'd applied for five years to something like seven different jobs and, and continued to get nowhere. I was networking the whole time. I just clearly hadn't met the right people. And then eventually I found my way into somebody's email inbox that, that would be um, the supervisor for the position that I was applying for. Um, and that was after I'd sent them six emails over the course of the year to try and get them to have a conversation <laughs> with me to begin with. But, um, but, but ultimately they then perked up and said, yeah, it's the right time. And now, you know, the right person or it's the right person. And now you're at the right time. So, you know, let's do this. So I think there's a, there's a bit of resiliency that has to be involved with networking because again, you know, we, we always tend to think that people are so focused on what we're focused on. So when you labor over that proposal and then you send it over and you don't get a response, it's almost like, well, how did they not look at it? Um, but, but I think, you know, we have to be cognizant of the fact that to a degree, um, we're all wrapped up in our own worlds and, and people don't care about what you've produced or what you've done or what you're trying to accomplish. And I think the more that, that you sort of comprehend that, the more it will help you be resilient when it comes to networking. You know, you won't take offense at the fact that somebody hasn't viewed your proposal or you won't take offense that you've sent seven emails over the course of a year and they haven't responded to a single one of them. Um, <laughs> you just sort of pick yourself up and keep going. And I think, you know, those who want it bad enough will eventually get it. Um, sometimes it will just take far longer than you think. In fact, I think it almost always takes far longer than you think. So I think mm. resiliency and, and being unabashed, that's the best way to network, to just always go after it, to always try and um, meet somebody new, to never turn down an opportunity. I think that's the best way to do it. Let me ask you this. We've talked about the pandemic quarantine that people are going through and just a lot of shifts in not only the economy, but different business ideas that people have. Uh, we talked about diversification. Where do you see with all the changes that are going right now, where do you see like the media relations industry going with new gigs for photographers? Yeah, I think um, we're, I think we're starting to see people consolidating relationships. I think, mm. um, you know, there was a point in time, probably 2015 to 2017, when it was all about, um, I'd love to work with that influencer, that photographer, that videographer, that creator, you know, people were sort of branching out and doing all kinds of things. And I think the result was you, you found a really mixed bag of skill sets. You know, some people were really good about um, managing their relationship with you as the client. And some people were really good about delivering idea after idea after idea. Um, but I, I think you found like you were you were almost working with a different person and different personality in every single um, every single project. So I think you'll start to see relationships consolidate people that um, you trust and, you know, can accomplish the work that you need um, and the projects that you need to get done. 
and you maybe have you know five to seven really really good relationships of people who are very good at shooting this type of thing versus that type of thing you know social and events is sort of one category where there's you know less concern over um, every photo being perfectly polished and more about getting all of the various different moments and a wide swath of coverage and then on the other end of that some really specific you know high-end imagery needs that we have the, the focus obviously being on a few just really, really beautifully, perfectly composed, perfectly retouched um, photos. So I think having people in in sort of the different camps um, and continuing to work with people you trust is is likely um, where I think we're going to see the industry go in the next couple of years. I think I would be remiss, Chris, if I didn't ask you about like your personality in your full time positions of being in media relations. What kinds of projects when they're pitched to you, like personally, do you get your juices flowing about? I, so um, Land Rover uh, creates vehicles to help people make more of their world through capability. Um, so that's that's one of our sort of like core positioning statements, right? We, we hopefully inspire people to get out into the world and see something unique. Um, because our vehicles offer you that capability to get you to wherever that adventure is. I get really excited when there are these sort of like skunk work ideas. You know, uh, the example that I'll give, and, and this is one of the projects that really, really started to um, get me thinking about photography in a different way was uh, in 2017, about two months before the eclipse happened, um, you know, I had watched an old video that I'd seen before. It was a Solomon Freesky TV episodes on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And it was of Ruben Crabb, who's a, a ski and adventure photographer. And he basically mm -hmm. shot skiers inside of an eclipse. I think it was like 800 millimeter lens with a two times teleconverter. It was, it was, it was an unbelievable set of planning and he's an incredible photographer, Ruben Crabb. You should definitely go and look at his work. Um, and I said to Alex, I said, I would love to do something similar, but but instead of a skier, you know, try and capture, you know, the vehicle and an eclipse in a way that would be totally different. Um, and and so we started thinking about this this project, and it was really that skunk works of like, well, where could we go so that the car could be positioned, you know, two thousand, three thousand feet higher than the camera um, because of you know where the eclipse would be in the sky, and it was it was all these crazy logistics. And, and I think the end result was nothing like what we set out to capture, but we, we both walked away with really, really interesting, unique images and an amazing story from it. And I think it's that, that journey, that adventure, um, and, and those sort of quote unquote harebrained schemes that I think make for the most interesting projects. Um, because a Land Rover, and, and I'm totally guilty of this, but a Land Rover just set against a beautiful backdrop, that's, that's incredible. But trying to capture a fleeting moment in in a ridiculous way, a unique way, um, and and doing so, I mean that's that's the fun of it. So I, I think those are the projects that get me really excited when somebody comes to me with something that's so crazy that it just might work. Yeah, and, and that brings up like this story. I've had a photographer named Josh Cripps on the show before, and he talked about going out into the Middle East using a different form of transportation in his solar eclipse shot, a camel. And he had like this Bedouin tribe person lead this camel up this huge sand dune and try to position himself and plan it out as much as possible, like not even knowing if it was actually going to work out. And I think just 
kind of how you describe like the backstory that the scampering around is really the most fun aspect of photography and not commercial projects, but personal projects too. just going out and, and trying to make it happen. Totally, totally agree. And actually, I, I know the image really well that you're talking about, because when I saw that, I said, ah, somebody did it in the way that was way better than what I was thinking. But, you know, it was it was perfectly executed and and beautiful, like the, the sort of the halo lighting around the camel and the person. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just it was it was excellent um, in, in its execution. And, yeah, you're right that that planning is the fun. That's the adventure. It's the will I won't I kind of the thing. Um in terms of will I actually get the image that I'm trying to get? And that's that's the exciting part. But I, I think that's very inside baseball because as a photographer, of course, that's what I'm going to be most interested in is is mm -hmm. how much somebody had to jump through to get it. But but I think it's a real display of creativity. And I, I think that that's, that's really what sets certain people apart. Um, there's another uh, landscape photographer um, who I've been following for quite some time, I would say prior to the sort of current um, bevy of work that I, I would say has made him incredibly famous, um, but really interesting and, and humble guy, Ruben um, Wu, who um, does these incredible uh, night landscape photography shots using um, using drone to provide lighting and and really make these almost, I mean, they're almost alien um, uh, mm. pictures uh, and landscape photos. Um, and, and so, you know, it's somebody like Ruben who, who went out at one point in time, the first time he did that. And he said, this is, this is crazy. I don't know if this will work. I, I have um, no idea if I'll get a decent image out of it and I'm going to go and pursue it. And, and he, he completely invents what I think is now a bit of a genre of, of photography. Um, so uh, I, I think, you know, we, we as a community can dive back into what, um, you know, why we got into this to be more creative, to, to pitch these kinds of ideas, because I think these are the ones that really make a difference for brands and make a difference for the photographers who are, who are shooting them. Anyone who wants to follow you on Instagram, where can they go to find you? Um, my handle is, uh, very simple. It's just at Chris J's. So it's my name, um, J E Y E S. Uh, and they can find me there. I, I actually, I run a couple of different accounts because I found that one people really didn't love me showing them cars all the time, or at least my family, <laughs> well, my family loved it. My friends didn't love it as much. So I have a couple of different channels that I run for like automotive based photography and for some of the travel stuff that, that I do as well. But, but my, um, my personal account is Chris J's and you know, if anybody listening has an incredible harebrained, ridiculous idea, send me a DM, I'll give you my email address and we'll, we'll talk more about it. But I'm, um, I'm always interested in, in hearing from people and, and finding those crazy ideas. Well, Chris, thank you so much for, for coming on, talking not only about your photography journey and what makes you passionate about photography, but also being so candid and open and, and honestly helpful with a lot of us who are listening and, and trying to figure out not only what's going on right now, but looking to the future and how we can diversify our own photography too. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. I was happy to do it and, um, you know, look forward to, to staying in touch in the future.